Hello guys, welcome to this podcast Everyday Talkies which ironically does not come out daily. I am Anshul and I talk about random things to random people, majorly about life, perspectives and thinking process. It's like an interview or let's say more of a conversation with one or two guests about random topics that interest us. To be really honest, it's just a way to reduce my inhibitions in talking to people. So, come join me and enjoy. Hello guys, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. Today I finally have my co-host Vivek and a new guest who is expert in the field of finance. So without any further delays, Vivek, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? So I've finally become a co-host, I guess. Uh, so today we have with us Chirag. He's a very dear friend of mine. I've known him for more than a decade now and the transition which I have seen in him has been a lot because back in school I used to, you know, picture him as an athlete. But now he is a very uh, profound knowledge in the field of finance, and there are very few people who can match up to that knowledge. He constantly keeps on, you know, updating himself about the things which are happening in the world of finance, and there's no complacency when it comes to finance with him. He has a huge abundance of knowledge from the basics of money, what money actually is, how it is generated, and how do we spend it. Along with that, he really got interested into cryptocurrencies and the concept of blockchain which actually drove him to you know discover more about it and he conducts seminars on that trying to educate young minds and curious people about the implications which cryptocurrencies can have in the future so i think that was just a brief introduction to a great mind i'll pass on the platform to chirag now who can tell more about this so chirag why don't you continue please hi everyone i think this is one of the best introductions i have ever received <laughs> I think uh, this was a very kind of you guys to introduce me into your esteemed podcast because I don't think I'm the esteemed one. I think you guys are the people who should be celebrated here because you're talking about stuff which is actually important, which people enjoy listening to. And I am an avid listener, so I was like, when Vivek told me about this podcast, I was like, definitely, I would love to share some of my experience that I have. Yeah, we have at least one fan. I'm happy about that. <laughs> No, no, I think I think there must be many. I think this is a good start. It's just one of my contributions to be part of uh, this journey of you guys. I'll give a brief introduction about myself. Right now, currently, I'm working as an analyst in the restructuring department of Duff & Phelps, uh, which is a global advisory service. And uh, that is my primary job. And my night job is basically studying about different aspects of finance. And I am very interested in the functioning of money. Uh, what money is, how it came into being, how it has evolved over the years, how it is part of our evolutionary life cycle because money, the form that we think about is actually not what exactly money is. Money has taken various forms from seashells to uh, precious metals to currency, paper currency and now digital currency. So there has been a huge evolution we've seen in money over the years and we as a civilization have evolved along with money and as in when money has increased its power, increased its liquidity, increased its access to people. That is one of the major reasons for the evolution and the expansion of knowledge of humans as well. So I think this is one of the very important topics that sadly it's not taught very well in schools or it is possible that I was not paying much attention. But after my schooling, after my college, this is something which I got into. So right now, what fascinates me is the world of cryptocurrency where money as we know it which is a centralized form 
controlled and printed and produced and circulated by a centralized institution how something like a decentralized money can work in a global environment with as much or more protection when you say centralized and decentralized why don't you give an example on that what do you mean by centralized money in this case so let's take a very basic example a bank we three are sitting and we have our accounts in a bank right so let's say that uh, bank a and all of us we have an account with bank a so if i want to send money to vivek i will send money through this bank a and vivek will receive money from bank a similarly if vivek wants to send you money the flow will again be from vivek to the bank to you uh, so the bank here is acting as a central authority where the bank is maintaining the balances of all of us as individuals and we as part of the bank we trust that the bank is maintaining the ledger properly and we trust the bank that okay when we are initiating a transaction that i want to send 100 uh, dollars rupees anything from chirag to vivek the bank is changing in its ledger that okay now chirag has 100 rupees less and vivek has 100 rupees more so we are having this trust in a single centralized institution through which our entire financial system works but in a decentralized ecosystem there is no such intermediary so when i am sending money to vivek there is no one in the middle who is the only one centralized institution keeping record of all these transactions so when i'm sending money to vivek the money is directly going from chirag to vivek but there is no central authority a central point of failure if you may where uh, this entire system might be compromised yeah so when you say in the first case where the banks maintain the ledger in the decentralized system who maintains the ledger then okay so here is where we can make a detour or we can at least get into the workings of a decentralized cryptocurrency before that chirag uh, do you want to say what is the need for a decentralized system right now if we have been using a centralized system for uh, more than two centuries i guess so what was the need of getting a decentralized system you know started and maybe people excited about migrating towards it yes so this is actually a very very important question which is which needs to be answered before we get into any other topics i think so initial and the main issue here i think people understood the gravity of the situation in 2008 the 2008 financial crisis was one of the biggest failures of a centralized institution be it banks be it governments be it our hedge funds wherever there was a central point of failure failed and bitcoin was has its origin in 2008 and when bitcoin was introduced into the market in january of 2009 there was a message which was associated and linked along with the first transaction of bitcoin so in bitcoin we can not only send transactions but we can also add a small amount of text along with the transactions so in that text the first transaction which was ever created had a very special message uh, which kind of identified the the failures of the centralized institution and at that point what happened was that uh, the government was bailing out banks So the sentence written in that first transaction was that the chancellor is on the brink of a second bailout for banks. So there was a second bailout being given to a bank which had failed in its duties to maintain the trust and the money of uh, the hard-earned money of normal individuals and uh, they were the ones who lost the money. The banks did not do what they were supposed to do and even though they didn't perform their duties properly the government was bailing bailing these banks out because these banks were apparently too big to fail so this is one of the major origins and the major origin stories of bitcoin where 
people don't realize that its main core started in 2008 and the launch was very much kind of uh, influenced by the crash of the 2008 financial crisis okay so how did the government uh, bail out the banks because if the banks are the ones who maintain the financial ecosystem of a country or of the society at large so how is it that a government are able to bail out banks like i don't think so you can create money and just give it to the bank or is it what is actually happening there so for this we need to understand what money is right we have different forms of money we have a physical currency we have digital currency which is there in the banks we have commodities like gold and silver and we have cryptocurrencies which are the new invention so let's just talk about the individual aspects and the difference of i think each of them physical currency is actually created by the government then there is a currency which yep. is created by the banks which is done through the fractional reserve lending okay. so for example when you if you deposit 100 rupees in a bank the banks can keep 10 rupees as equity and loan out the other 90 that 90 gets deposited in a different bank again so for example 9 rupees is uh, kept in equity and again 81 rupees is lent out so through this fractional reserve and the 10% equity that the individual banks need to maintain that 100 rupees gets converted into 1000 rupees so there's a multiplier effect right so this is the major way how money is created in any economy money is privatized by the government today we all think that money is controlled and distributed by the government but actually most almost 80 to 90% of the money circulating in the economy right now is created by the banks when they do this fractional reserve lending so whenever you go take out a loan there is new money created in the economy and that is how money is generated and circulated in a particular economy so we talk about the physical currency created by the government Uh, we talk about the digital currency created by the banks then there is the commodities of gold and silver which has a special property in the sense that they are apparently limited in nature right there is only a certain amount of gold and silver that can ever be produced or mined out of the ground so we know there is a physical cap in these things yeah. and that sense most of the people who talk about money there is a very key difference that they always mention like mike maloney is one of the major economists who talk about money and currency and the difference between it is that money and currency are not the same thing currency is what we use in the sense that okay it is divisible it is portable it is uh, fungible fungible means 100 rupees that i use and the 100 rupees that you use can buy the same thing at the same time so it's fungible but there's a very key difference with money money does the same things but money is also a store of value currency is not a store of value what do you mean by store of value here so store of value in the sense that okay we know inflation right we know inflation yeah. happens over the years as more and more money is created in the economy the per the unit of currency that you have in hand keeps depreciating in value as more money enters the economy so as the governments and and as the banks create more and more money in the economy and as more and more money gets injected in the economy the 100 rupees that you had one year back does not have the same purchasing power as the 100 rupees you'll have after one year so over the years we see that that things keep getting costlier now there are two aspects here definitely that the demand is increasing no doubt so as demand increases and the supply is constant there is a upward pressure in price that happens definitely but there is a other important aspect here where the overall money supply of an economy increases and your per unit of money loses value every year this is a very critical balance that the government tries and the central and the central banks try to create but uh, we can debate about that later on 
but these are the two different ways where we can see that inflation that i said happens with your currency in 2008 for the first time we saw a fourth type of currency which was introduced by the central bank of the united state and which was given the name of quantitative easing so they did something they tried to perform a particular action to save these banks right i started by saying that the central banks of the united states tried to bail out the banks who were failing to do that what the central banks did was that they that was the first time when they printed or they digitally printed more money and they directly transferred it to the banks so that they have more equity in their stake and so that they don't fail apparently this was the first time this that the central banks started to create money so basically this is just like printing money but digitally yes so most of the currency which is printed it is approximately only 3% of our entire money supply in the economy and that uh, money is actually printed in today's time so that when we go to the atms or when we go to the banks to withdraw cash these banks and these atms have enough money to cater to this demand so it's only 3% of the entire money circulation in the economy today but most of the currency is either created by the banks or created by the central banks and directly injected in, in the economy so this was the first when we saw the central bank money being introduced in the market in 2008 and then we saw the advent of cryptocurrencies which run on this technology known as blockchain so if the concept of money and if the discussion of money is clear we can move into the description of uh, decentralized cryptocurrency okay one thing before we move on to the more decentralized currency and cryptocurrency there i have probably read or i think we know that money has a physical backing like it is said that us has gold reserves which gives money the value so is that true in present scenario as well okay so this is one of the major uh, misunderstandings that people have in today's world where they think that if a government needs to create money they need to have a physical commodity backing that money creation but that has not been true since 1971 so before the world war this was true that whenever any country needed to print any amount of currency they had to have a physical backing of gold to print that much currency okay in world war 1 and 2 this system was kind of not looked after and to fund the fundings of war they kind of abandoned the system for a particular period of time and they no longer had the backing of gold in 1945 we had the britain wood system where us came out as the most powerful country in the world and the us dollar became the most powerful currency in the world so because most of the people most of the currencies did not now have the backing of gold they thought okay to save the global financial system let's do one thing let's keep the gold backing for us because at that point of time us had a lot of gold reserves because it was playing a party to both sides of the war it was providing supplies and equipments and machinery and ammunition to both sides of the party and receiving gold in return so uh, approximately 80 to 90% of the entire global gold supply was with us at the end of world war 2 so us became a superpower because of that so once that happened every other currency in the world decided in the bretton woods system that they would peg their currency to the us dollar and the us dollar will be backed by gold this was the system from 1945 to 1971 and in this period what happened was if you have too much trust in one party if it starts messing up the entire system gets a bit messed up right so that's what exactly happened us started to print more currency and started to expand its uh, aggressively expand its economy so for that it needed to print more currency and inject more currency in the economy but it actually did not have that much gold in reserve in 1971 or approximately 2 3 years before that 
other currency uh, other countries started to realize that us doesn't have the gold backing so what they started to do is that they started to demand back their gold by paying whatever us dollar they had in their reserves many countries together started to do that all at once us realized that this is not sustainable because they don't have the amount of gold backing the amount of currency in the world in 1971 the president of the united states uh, richard nixon at that point of time suddenly decided that the us will no longer be backed by gold and since no other currency in the world was backed by anything to begin with because they were backed by the us dollar in 1971 the us uh, stopped its peg with the dollar so now everything started to become a floating currency without having any backing so the conclusion here is that no country in the world today and no currency of any country is backed by anything governments don't print money haywire because they need to maintain inflation in the economy but we hear our finance ministers saying right that we want to maintain 4% to 6% of inflation every year they maintain this inflation by looking at the demand supply in the economy and by looking at how, how much money they create and how much money they inject every year in the economy so that this inflation target which is again arbitrary we can we can talk about that also they try to maintain this 4 to 6% inflation in this way obviously if money was printed and if money was printed without having this limit of inflation in mind we can see hyperinflation uh, which we've started to see initially in germany in belarus recently in in venezuela in argentina yeah i think zimbabwe was one of the victims as well right yeah there have been so many currencies and so many countries in the world which have gone through a hyperinflationary state and these currencies just vanish and we don't even hear about So yeah. that is I think one of the major issues by not having anything backed by a physical commodity and uh, because it is not backed by anything and because the government has the option to print the money as and when they want if the government is not sound enough they can actually destroy the entire currency and it's not the government which suffers it's the normal people like you and me the middle class and the people who have even lesser they are the ones who are affected the most and that is the main issue here that when money is hyperinflated or or even inflated it is always the people who are in the lower end of the spectrum who bear the biggest brunt of it so like the conclusion with of what you said is that the only pillar which is keeping the currency afloat is our trust in the government exactly the note the currency note that we have it's a promissory note right which means yeah. that it's a promise that a 100 rupee note will give you the purchasing power of 100 rupees in the market and this promise is backed by the faith of ourselves in the government backing the currency so because we have faith in the government we have faith in the currency of any country once the faith in the government is destroyed there is no longer faith in the currency and the currency dissipates so it's a very close link here and we need to keep that in mind and we can see the pattern in the global economy today that wherever there is uh, any issues go- uh, going on with any government be it iran be it russia uh, be it venezuela argentina anywhere because the government is failing the government is trying to save itself somehow by trying to print more currency and by doing that it is hyperinflating the currencies of these economies and that is not sustainable i read this somewhere recently that apparently venezuela sits on the largest oil reserve in the world and ironically the economy of venezuela is uh, failing because of these policies which you mentioned by the government where they printed uh, money without any conscious decision of the consequences of what this printing will lead to exactly i think uh, from there you can take us uh, to how decentralized system and cryptocurrency can help us overcome this problem and how it might be the money and the currency of the future okay we've identified what the issue is right we we have identified that the issue 
is that we should not be trusting money with a central authority because money so okay there is this analogy which i read and i tried to formulate further was that money is like energy right we work for numerous numbers of hours over the years and to store that energy we get our salaries right so it's like we are storing the efforts in our money and then money the energy that we have is being transformed into money and then again transformed into goods and services so this is how money is actually enabling the transmission of energy from one form to the other but when a government prints money they are not spending uh, energy so they have the ability to print money without spending energy and we have to spend energy to get money that inherently is not a equal balance and that inherently causes inequality in an economy so we have to understand that money is something which should not be centralized so when you have money your money should not be affected by the acts of any other party so here is where we can move into a decentralized form of money the biggest issue why this form of money did not exist before the actual concept uh, has been in in existence since 1984 and uh, the biggest issue here was that like we started this conversation right how can we have a decentralized system of money when there is no central intermediary who can keep balance and check and control over the entire system so to do this there was this thought experiment that was initiated it's called the byzantine generals problem so it's a very simple but a very very complex thought experiment whose basic crux was that how can we have a system of decentralized money and we can transmit this money from one person to the other without having a centralized intermediary in between and be sure that there is no attack happening on the way of the money being transmitted and when the money actually reaches that other person you are no longer able to spend the money again so the biggest problem with a digital currency is that it's digital right and anything digital can be copied so what keeps the check that when i'm uh, sending money to anshul or when i'm sending money to vivek i am not sending the same money to both of you if, if i have 100 rupees what stops me from creating a copy of that 100 rupees and sending it to both of you so this was a basic thought experiment which they were trying to solve since 1984 and uh, the answer to this was provided by an anonymous individual known as satoshi nakamoto so satoshi nakamoto is a pseudonym it's not a real person it's just a name decided by someone to hide their true identity so satoshi nakamoto it can be a a guy a girl a one person a group of people a company we don't know who they are we don't know the identity of the person who solved this problem but one day in 2008 they published a paper to a very esteemed cryptographer society which is called cypherpunk there is this group of cryptographers who come together who use pseudonyms and they try to solve these problems which have not been solved uh, since a very long period of time so satoshi nakamoto suddenly appeared one day he published his thought and his answer to this byzantine generals problem to this uh, cryptographers group and asked them to verify what he's written if it's true or not everyone verified the best cryptographers in the world they verified the code and then they realized that okay this can be the answer to the question that we were looking for for so long when they were all convinced that this is actually an answer to a decentralized ecosystem satoshi nakamoto along with uh, a few members of the cypherpunk society they developed bitcoin from 2008 to 2009 and in 2009 the first transaction with bitcoin was was generated and this was a very revolutionary moment according to me because for the first time a transaction happened without any intermediary in between using cryptography as its security mechanism and using proof of work as its economic incentive mechanism 
thank you so much chirag for such amazing insights about what money is and how we move from a centralized to a decentralized form of money and currency in general in our world it has been a nice learning experience well to all the listeners this recording went on for an hour and there was such amazing content that we will continue this next week as well so wait for the next part of this recording where you would learn more about what cryptocurrency is and how it can be applicable to the modern day society and how the general public should be financially aware so thank you guys for listening to the episode we'll see you next week bye thank you to all the listeners i'll catch up with you again soon with someone new and lots of interesting discussions so bye